you, and we're going to continue this series that we are in called uh, Regather and Rebuild. Uh, I think it's appropriate because that's exactly what we're doing as a church, right? We, we're coming back together after eight months. I mean, who would have ever thought that COVID would have affected us from gathering for eight strong months? It's crazy. But, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Somebody say there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're coming through, and, and by God's grace... Uh, we're going to be regathering and uh, rebuilding uh, not just the church, but the kingdom of God. Because how many know that that's the vehicle in which God uses to advance his kingdom in the earth? Now, some of you aren't convinced of that, right? You've had some bad experiences within and with the church. But it's true. Listen, the, the, the only thing that makes church a little bit ugly is the people, okay? Because, well, no, seriously, I'm not talking about you all are beautiful. I'm not, not talking about that kind of ugly. But how many know there's a different kind of ugly, uh, you know? And, and when you start getting, you know, the relational things like happening in the church, sometimes it can get ugly. But Jesus has not given up on his church. Matter of fact, Jesus' job, if you could imagine and wrap your head around this, Jesus' job in his resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father kind of occupation, can you imagine that, is he is building his church. I, I, I just, I, that makes me want to be pro-church. Like, I don't care how messy it gets. I don't care how ugly it gets. The fact that Jesus is the architect, I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm signed me up. I'm ready to go. But we're going to get a little bit into the word this morning and continue uh, as we, as a body, uh, look towards the future, the future of our church. And, um, you know, real quick, do I have any procrastinators in the room uh, this morning? Any, anybody who, like, you, you put things off just a little bit, you're like, you know, right to that deadline. Um, now, I like to think that I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not a procrastinator, but when I, when I, Take a true kind of observation of my life. I find out, yeah, you are. For example, um, my wife is here, and I'm kind of telling on myself, but we'll just use it, uh, you know, because it's good. It's a good and funny story. But um, I, I always am late paying my cell phone bill. I, I know, of all things, because you get like 50 texts, a couple phone calls, some emails, you know, before you have to pay that bill. Uh, they they are, are, are giving you... Um, information well beyond the time in which your phone bill is due. But yet it never fails. Without fail, I am always late at paying my phone bill. Now, that's a problem because I don't know if your carrier does this, but my carrier likes to put this little clause in there um, that when you go kind of delinquent on your phone bill and they shut you off, to turn it back on, it's not just a matter of paying your past due bill, how many know what I'm talking about? But you have to pay a nice little handsome reconnection fee. Anybody, anybody have to do that? I mean, I'm not going to reveal how much that reconnection fee is for my carrier because I'm sure I will have a long conversation with my wife after this service. Um, but nevertheless, it's not just a matter of them saying, okay, Mr. Temple, we shut you off, and you just got to pay your past due bill, but also, guess what? We're going to hit you up for another, you know, X amount of dollars just to reconnect. I don't even know, like, like how that happens. Like, how hard is it just to hit a button, flip a switch, and turn my phone back on? But, but these companies are, um, they're, they're, they're sly. They're, they're smart 
people, right? I mean, hey, you know, you're late for Salvation. Uh, who's thinking of these things? Yeah, we'll hit them with a $50 to $60 reconnection fee. But nevertheless, I am always procrastinating. And, and it's foolish because, like I said, I get pr- uh, plenty, excuse me, uh, notification that, that my bill is due. But nevertheless, it, 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 without fail, it always happens. You know, there's nothing worse than a procrastinator, really, when you think about it. I mean, when you just like, you, you start to just let your mind go there and you think about, you know, your bills, you know, when I was in my twenties, I was always like, um, not paying my bills on time. I was always paying late fees. And, 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 it, and my point is this, is that procrastination just doesn't affect you in the moment. It, it can affect you well beyond the moment, right? I mean, you know, especially when it comes to your bills or let's say your health, Right. If you put something off that you know, like, oh, I think that there's something wrong here and you're not going to see the doctor, lo and behold, the months pass and something bigger has occurred because why? You have procrastinated. There's a story in the book of Haggai of which we're going to use to kind of frame our conversation this morning about a group of procrastinators. Not only were they procrastinating, uh, in rebuilding God's temple, they also had misguided priorities as well. Um, so in the book of Ezra, without getting too much in the, in the backstory here, um, there was a, a small remnant of, of um, exiles returning to Jerusalem and Judea uh, to essentially rebuild the temple. And I don't want to get into all the nuances. It would take so long to unpack why they're in Babylon, why they're coming back, what happened to the temple. We're not going to go there. You can look there for yourself. You can go to the book of Ezra. You can read Zechariah and Haggai, and you can find out all those details yourself. But they're returning because prophets like Ezra, prophets like Zechariah and Haggai, of which we're going to get into, have spoken prophetically that these people need to go back to their homeland and rebuild the house of God. The journey was led by uh, uh, a young man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, sorry, it's not Zerubbabel, but Zerubbabel is the correct pronunciation. He is a governor. He ends up being the governor, excuse me, of Judah. And he's also the ancestor of Christ later on in the Gospels, we find. And um, when they first return to their homeland, everything is going relatively smooth. Um, meaning, the work on the temple happens fast and goes without fail. It goes pretty good. Um, for example, in Ezra 3, 1 through 6, they, they rebuild uh, the altar. And, and that kind of, you know, reinstitutes, I think I'm using that word right, but uh, it, it, it reinstitutes worship, the sacrificial worship and the practices uh, of sacrifice there amongst the people. They also are able to lay the foundation of the temple, which is a huge kind of victory and, and, and national success. And that happens in Ezra 3, 7 through 6. Now, once the foundation is built... In Ezra chapter 3, surrounding countries start to get nervous. You know, whenever God starts to move, it almost seems like his enemies just get a little bit panicked, right? And this is what's happening. Uh, Jerusalem's enemies come and they're kind of inquiring, what's going on here? And and there's some people, I think, with, with, with good intent, like the Samaritan people who want to be involved with the rebuilding process, of the temple, but Israel's kind of like, you know, 
he's not your God. You know, we're his God, we're his people. You have, you have no dealings here. You're not going to rebuild with us. This kind of sets off a bit of a, 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 some tension within that relationship. And essentially, again, without getting too deep into the story, um, because of these exiles' enemies, they stop rebuilding the temple of God. It's too much pressure. It's ultimately because of fear, uh, fear of their enemies. Now, uh, we talked about fear last Sunday. Uh, and, and although they're real physically, physical excuse me, enemies here uh, in Ezra and Zechariah and Haggai, uh, we have an enemy. Some would call it uh, an invisible enemy. But nevertheless, uh, it, it, it affects us the same, right? Uh, we don't know um, what's to come as we move forward in, in regathering and rebuilding our church. Like, what are the dangers? What are we risking here health-wise? We have an enemy. We're concerned. We're, we're trying to be wise, but we're also trying to be moving in faith. So a lot of similarities here, uh, 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 although some differences, similarities. And, and the similarity that I'm drawing together is fear. Rather, if it's your, the fear of your next-door neighbor, like I have a fear of my next-door neighbor, or we'll, we'll, we'll spare you the details, um, or, or just fear of a virus, or in this case, fear of your enemies. Now, essentially, the, again, work had stopped because these exiles were, were fearful of what their enemies might do had they proceeded. And what's interesting is this is not just something that happens in the span of, um, you know, eight months, right? This is a, 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 a halting that happens for, it, scholars say, anywhere between 14 to 16 years. Talk about procrastination. I mean, those guys, I mean, that is huge. 14 to 16 years, they just stopped Building the temple of God because of fear, that's remarkable. Now, we not only have a situation, as I said, where, where, where the people are procrastinating, we, we have also, and we're going to get into it as we read some of the uh, text within the story, we have a situation again where the, the people's priorities are jacked up. And here is where we pick up in Haggai, because Haggai is going to now step on to the scene after 14 to 16 years of procrastination and speak the word of the Lord to God's people and say, guys, you got to get up and you got to get busy. Let's read in verse two of Haggai chapter one. It says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, meaning these procrastinators, these people who now here in Haggai chapter 1 have some jacked up priorities. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while these houses... I'm sorry, while this house, excuse me, lies in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you, are never, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, 
but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now, how about that for a Debbie Downer? Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, again, for the second time, consider your ways, he says. Verse 8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure and that I may be glorified. Now, if you ever wonder what is the significance of God's house, and let's just modernize this a little bit to our day, is that he, what, takes pleasure in his house? And in his house, he is what? Glorified. So let's just, let's just put all the arguments to the, of, of the church to rest. Let's put all our offense, let's put all our, 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 our offenses down and, and start to realize that primarily why the churches exist is for God. For him to take pleasure in and to be glorified. Verse nine, you look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. So God's in the details, right? What, 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 what seems to be probably from these people, just a, a, a manner of circumstances, like it's just been a hard year. You know, COVID hit. Everybody's losing their jobs and and their livelihoods, and I'm not trying to joke. This is real. People have been affected, but but what what most people in this day are thinking are just like it's just the 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 economy's bad. Uh, you know, it's been a hard year. What they would just kind of boil down to those things. God is saying, no, I'm in the details. I'm actually the one that when you bring home what you have and what you've earned, I blow it away. When, when you put that that hundred dollar bill. I mean, I don't know anybody who puts $100 bills in their pockets anymore. It's usually plastic, right? But, but when you put that $100 bill in your wallet in the back of your pocket, you know, you're, you don't know that there's a nice little hole back there where it just kind of falls out. How many have ever lost their wallet? Terrible experience. But, but what we understand is this is not just a matter of a bad season or, or just a tough economical, uh, economical? No, economic uh, uh, fallout. This is a matter of what the Lord is doing in order to gain the attention of these exiles to say, guys, things are falling apart. Your lives are a mess. Actually, we appropriately, I think, titled this sermon, um, we titled this, Our Lives in God's House Lie in Ruin. Let Let me say that again because it gets right to the heart of what I'm going after this morning. Our lives in God's house lies in ruin. Isn't it interesting that here, in this uh, story, that God puts more of the emphasis not on his house being built, but on their lives being a mess. Let's get back to the passage. I believe we are in verse 9. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busy, again, here's the priorities. What's, what's, what's the priority right now? And what has been the priority for these people for 14 to 16 years? Them. Their house. Their livelihoods. Their savings account. Their education. Them, 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 them. They've put them first and God second. Now, what we, un, what, we, what we really didn't get into this morning is if we look back in the book of Exodus, 
God made a staggering, heart-moving promise to his people, Israel. And it was this, and again, I'm summarizing, uh, so please be nice to me. (laughs) I'm no biblical scholar by any stretch of the imagination. But what we see is one of the promises in which God made to Moses is that the people of Israel, if they would put God first, love him with all their heart, and keep his commandments, meaning obey him, he would bless them. And what we have to know is this, is if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I would just like to suggest here that God still operates that way and that the effects of what's going on in our financial world, what may be going on in our relational world, What may be going on behind the closed doors of our homes, meaning those negative experiences, those things that we don't like people to know and to talk about, those things that we're we're displeased and really broken over, have more to do about our neglecting God than anything else. Because God said and made a promise to his people in ancient days that if you put me first, if you love me with all your heart, and if you obey me, you will be blessed. And i just like to submit to you that the, the same still happens today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's looking for a people of whom he can bless. I mean, wasn't this what Jesus preached? Really, Jesus about 10 to 12 times talked about the effects of obedience and what it translates. And, and, and what it shows and, 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 and it displays to God is that what? Those who obey him love him. Again, it's interesting to see here in these 10 verses how, how God points out the negative impact that disobedience has had on these people. Let, let me say that again. He, he's not making the issue his house necessarily here. I think one verse in the 10 verses are dedicated to something that, maybe two, uh, dedicated to something that is related to the house still not being rebuilt. The rest of it is dedicated to what is going on in the people's life. This moves me. (laughs) I don't know if you're catching this, and I'll I'll try to be a little bit more obvious. It, It moves me that God... Um, is, is interested in, in the conditions of our homes, in, in the condition of our wealth, in, in the condition of our relationship. It, it moves me that God, what, what I would do, which thank God I'm not God, and, and nor am I saying, I, never mind, we'll just get out of that mess. But um, if I was somebody of such power, I would put myself out there and say, why isn't this being done? But God, the uncreated God of the universe, does not put his issue out there first. With, why isn't the house built? He puts their issue. And I, I would submit to you that he puts it out there, not just for the sake of, of, of exposure, but just reminding them that if they would lock back in to, to those days with Moses and hear in their spirits and in their hearts and their ears those promises that Moses prophetically declared that maybe they would take a look 
at the situation and say, wait, something's off. Something, something's off with my priorities. Why am I in fear when all, I mean, think about the experiences these people have had, especially regarding enemies. (laughs) I mean, who has such a track record of God coming through in such powerful ways? Now, if you like, you think about the splitting of the sea. I mean, um, Egypt alone, where God delivered um, uh, them from uh, Pharaoh's grip. That in and of itself is astounding. But you track on in the way that God led them with a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. They drank from a rock. I mean, these things are amazing. But yet here they are, cowardice, over a few enemies with a huge laundry list of, 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 of track record of the faithfulness of God, and they procrastinate 14 to 16 years getting back to it. Friends, I, I, don't, I don't want that. Now, I'll just submit to you, being a pastor, I have the privilege, and it is a privilege, to work with many people and, and, and to help many people, especially in, in the areas of brokenness, meaning, um, you know... Uh, broken sexuality, uh, broken marriage, um, uh, oh, the, the broad, broad scope. And, 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 and I can't help but to think in this season where COVID has kind of, I don't know, I just think, you know, it's, it's waged a war against the church in that, in that I believe in, in the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that, that God has, what? told us to come together, you know, to not forsake, to not spread out, but to, to be together. So I, I actually view what's going on as, as an assault against the church, but more than an assault against the church, an assault against God and the way that he's constructed and put together uh, congregational worship and congregational teaching. And so, yeah, I, I do look at an attack, but you know what I see also happening in the midst of that attack is a lot of people hurting. I, I can throw myself, as a pastor, I can throw myself right into, the, even in my own life, areas that, are, that, that my family have had to track through and, and find healing and find God's grace. Uh, 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 you know, I, I've seen that they've been quite heightened as, as, as just as a response, I think I'm saying this right, as, as that, that weekly gathering being taken away. There's, there's something about coming together, friends, There's something about gathering together in the house of God with the family of God. Uh, You know, thank God that we have a stream and we were able to, you know, fill in the gaps as our city managed what was going on and kind of shut things down and and kind of went into a lockdown. Thank God we've had this uh, uh, at our hands to, to still bring the gospel into people's homes and hearts. But man, I can say, just by not having that in-person gathering, I can say honestly before you, my life has suffered much. And I, I can't imagine but to think that this is exactly what these people are going about. See, I don't think it's necessarily to God all about God's house. Some would probably argue with me on that point, and that's okay. I think God is more interested in about helping the people 
And, and, and by rebuilding the house and, and, and kind of bringing those people back to gathering together and worshiping together, I think that what it will affect the most is what's going on here. The, all these things that we're reading of, of, of you know, not having enough and, you know, even priorities. I mean, I can, I, listen, the one place that seemed to be very full when COVID hit was Home Depot. Uh, I can honestly say that my life hugely started to, I, I started to orientate myself around my home. Like, okay, like, what am I going to do for the month of March? Uh, plant some trees, build some fences. Let's go to Home Depot. But, but my, I'm saying this to say that my priorities have been out of whack. Anyways, maybe I'm driving this a little too much. The, the point that I, I want to get out here and where I want to land is that um, I, I believe that the rebuild of God's house was for the good and, and the benefit of the people. They may have not seen it. You know, they, they may have not acknowledged it, but I believe that that is at the heart of what God is trying to get to here in this story. It's for their good that they gather. I mean, you take, what is it, Psalms 133 alone. I mean, it's a, it's a, honestly, it's a, it's a passage that's just always used, you know, in, 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 in church, and, and rightfully so. But this is a passage that talks about the commanded blessing of the Lord and, 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 and how good it is the whole setting is set by how good it is when, when brethren and, and the church comes together. And, and in that place, the, the essence of the text is that God's commanded blessing is, is there. I, I don't know about you, but, but I want that commanded blessing. I, I, I want God in our midst, not just in my home of where I want him also, but I want him in my church. And I'm not saying my church because I'm Pastor Daryl Temple, I'm saying my family, the church, of whom I have the privilege of pastoring. I, I want that commanded blessing for marriages. And I believe that the church has the ability to bring that about, not because it's the church, but because it's God's house. I, I want... I want wholeness in young people's sexuality and relationships. And I believe that part of what brings that about is God's house. And that weekly gathering of why? Being confronted by truth. You know, you are confronted a lot by various things from day to day, uh, to day to day, rather if it is in your news feed or it is in media uh, CNN or Fox News or whatever it is that you do that you do, but you are being confronted a lot. And I, I just want to submit to you that we need that weekly touch point, that, that Sunday morning gathering to be confronted by God's truth. And I unashamedly, you know, stand here before that and before you, excuse me, and, and proclaim that. And, and I'm not just doing that because I'm... The pastor, I'm doing that because I've read a story that has moved my heart and I believe that there's something in this story for us as we ourselves have experienced similar situations that these people have experienced. Let me end with this. I think if there's 
a text that um, brings it home uh, for me. It is Matthew 6.33. And you don't even have to turn there because once I start reading, you're going to know exactly who it is and what it says. But Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. There's something powerful about putting God first. There, there's something powerful, I'll, sorry to repeat myself, about getting us in our place where we belong and getting God in his place. And I think in this new season, um, God is looking for his workforce, his exiles, so to speak, that have been kind of dispersed throughout our cities and towns uh, to come together and rebuild his house. And so my plea and my invitation is, will you build with Jesus? You see, that's exactly what we're doing. God gives his son the job of building his church and Jesus enlists, his son Jesus enlists a workforce to get that job done. You and I, are his workforce. You and I are his people and whom upon our backs and our shoulders and our sweat and our songs and our cameras and our chairs and serving, it happens through us. God's the boss, his son is the architect and we are the workers. I want to work for that man. I seriously want to give my life. I'm I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. This wasn't my job of choice. Uh, This is not what I thought I would be doing at age 41. It's not. I know probably every pastor says that, but I'm being honest as honest can be. Uh, I'm not the greatest communicator in the face of the planet. Um, I'm a bit timid, surprisingly, I'm sure, to some of you. Uh, I'm not all that educated. But I I tell you, I've been, there's a part of my heart that's been deeply arrested by wanting to work for Jesus. You know, when we, we, we need not to romanticize this thing called church in, in, in any respects. God is looking for willing volunteers. In the day of his power, you may not believe this is the day of his power, but as long as God is on the throne, it is the day of the Lord's power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. And I've done my best, God, and now I look to you to do the rest. Holy Spirit, come and breathe upon every word spoken. God, that which was of your spirit, help these people um, uh, capture and, and keep And those things, Lord, that were not of the Spirit of God, I ask, Lord, that delete would be hit and they would forget. But, Lord, most of all, I ask, Lord, for the fruit of this message to come forth in our ministry, Lord, that we would, as a body, sign back up and get back in 
to building your house, God, your church, with your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.